0: Section fifteen of the Queen of Hearts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Queen of Hearts by Wilkie Collins. Section fifteen. Brother Morgan's Story of the Dream Woman. Chapter four. Three weeks after that day, Isaac and Rebecca were man and wife all that was hopelessly dogged and stubborn in the man's moral nature seemed to have closed round his fatal passion and to have fixed it unassailably in his heart after that first interview in the cottage parlour no consideration would induce mrs scratchard to see her son's wife again or even to talk of her when isaac tried hard to plead her cause after their marriage This course of conduct was not in any degree occasioned by a discovery of the degradation in which Rebecca had lived There was no question of that between mother and son There was no question of anything but the fearfully exact resemblance between the living breathing woman and the spectre woman of Isaac's dream Rebecca on her side neither felt nor expressed the slightest sorrow at the estrangement between herself and her mother-in-law isaac for the sake of peace had never contradicted her first idea that age and long illness had affected mrs scratchard's mind he even allowed his wife to upbraid him for not having confessed this to her at the time of their marriage engagement rather than risk anything by hinting at the truth the sacrifice of his integrity before his one all-mastering delusion seemed but a small thing and cost his conscience but little after the sacrifices he had already made the time of waking from this delusion the cruel and rueful time was not far off after some months of married life as the summer was ending and the year was getting on toward the month of his birthday isaac found his wife altering toward him she grew sullen and contemptuous she formed acquaintances of the most dangerous kind in defiance of his objections his entreaties and his commands and worst of all she learned ere long after every fresh difference with her husband to seek the deadly self-oblivion of drink little by little after the first miserable discovery that his wife was keeping company with drunkards the shocking certainty forced itself on isaac that she had grown to be a drunkard herself. He had been in a sadly desponding state for some time before the occurrence of these domestic calamities. His mother's health, as he could but too plainly discern every time he went to see her at the cottage, was failing fast, and he upbraided himself in secret as the cause of the bodily and mental suffering she endured. When to his remorse on his mother's account was added the shame and misery occasioned by the discovery of his wife's degradation he sank under the double trial his face began to alter fast and he looked what he was a spirit-broken man his mother still struggling bravely against the illness that was hurrying her to the grave was the first to notice the sad alteration in him and the first to hear of his last worst trouble with his wife She could only weep bitterly on the day when he made his humiliating confession But on the next occasion when he went to see her she had taken a resolution in reference to his domestic afflictions Which astonished and even alarmed him? He found her dressed to go out and on asking the reason received this answer I Am not long for this world Isaac she said and I shall not feel easy on my deathbed unless I have done my best to the last To make my son happy I mean to put my own fears and my own feelings out of the question and To go with you to your wife and try what I can do to reclaim her Give me your arm Isaac and let me do the last thing I can in this world to help my son before it is too late He could not disobey her and they walked together slowly toward his miserable home it was only one o'clock in the afternoon when they reached the cottage where he lived it was their dinner hour and Rebecca was in the kitchen He was thus able to take his mother quietly into the parlour and then prepare his wife for the interview She had fortunately drunk, but little at that early hour and she was less sullen and capricious than usual He returned to his mother with his mind tolerably at ease His wife soon followed him into the parlour the meeting between her and mrs. Scratchard passed off better than he had ventured to anticipate Though he observed with secret apprehension That his mother resolutely as she controlled herself in other respects could not look his wife in the face when she spoke to her It was a relief to him therefore when Rebecca began to lay the cloth She laid the cloth brought in the bread tray and cut a slice from the loaf for her husband then returned to the kitchen at that moment isaac still anxiously watching his mother was startled by seeing the same ghastly change passed over her face Which had altered it so awfully on the morning when rebecca and she first met Before he could say a word she whispered with a look of horror take me back home home again isaac come with me and never go back again He was afraid to ask for an explanation He could only sign to her to be silent and help her quickly to the door as They passed the bread tray on the table. She stopped and pointed to it Did you see what your wife cut your bread with she asked in a low whisper no mother? I was not noticing. What was it look? He did look a new clasp knife with a buckhorn handle lay with the loaf in the bread tray He stretched out his hand shudderingly to possess himself of it But at the same time there was a noise in the kitchen and his mother caught at his arm the knife of the dream Isaac I'm faint with fear take me away before she comes back He was hardly able to support her the visible tangible reality of the knife struck him with a panic and Utterly destroyed any faint doubts that he might have entertained up to this time in relation to the mysterious dream warning of nearly eight years before by a last desperate effort he summoned self-possession enough to help his mother out of the house so quietly that the dream woman he thought of her by that name now did not hear them departing from the kitchen don't go back isaac don't go back implored mrs scratchard as he turned to go away after seeing her safely seated again in her own room I must get the knife he answered under his breath his mother tried to stop him again But he hurried out without another word on his return He found that his wife had discovered their secret departure from the house She had been drinking and was in a fury of passion The dinner in the kitchen was flung under the grate the cloth was off the parlor table Where was the knife? unwisely he asked for it she was only too glad of the opportunity of irritating him which the request afforded her he wanted the knife did he could he give her a reason why no then he should not have it not if he went down on his knees to ask for it further recriminations elicited the fact that she had bought it a bargain and that she considered it her own especial property isaac saw the uselessness of attempting to get the knife by fair means and Determined to search for it later in the day in secret The search was unsuccessful Night came on and he left the house to walk about the streets He was afraid now to sleep in the same room with her Three weeks passed still sullenly enraged with him She would not give up the knife and still that fear of sleeping in the same room with her possessed him He walked about at night or dozed in the parlor or sat watching by his mother's bedside Before the expiration of the first week in the new month his mother died it wanted then but ten days of her son's birthday She had longed to live till that anniversary Isaac was present at her death and her last words in this world were addressed to him Don't go back my son. Don't go back He was obliged to go back if it were only to watch his wife exasperated to the last degree by his distrust of her She had revengefully sought to add a sting to his grief during the last days of his mother's illness By declaring that she would assert her right to attend the funeral In spite of anything he could do or say she held with wicked pertinacity to her word and on the day appointed for the burial forced itself inflamed and shameless with drink into her husband's presence and declared that she would walk in the funeral procession to his mother's grave this last worst outrage accompanied by all that was most insulting in word and look maddened him for the moment He struck her the instant the blow was dealt. He repented it She crouched down silent in a corner of the room and eyed him steadily It was a look that cooled his hot blood and made him tremble But there was no time now to think of a means of making atonement nothing remained but to risk the worst the funeral was over There was but one way of making sure of her he locked her into her bedroom When he came back some hours after he found her sitting very much altered in look and bearing by the bedside with a bundle on her lap She rose and faced him quietly and spoke with a strange stillness in her voice a strange repose in her eyes a strange composure in her manner No, man has ever struck me twice she said and my husband shall have no second opportunity. Set the door open and let me go. From this day forth, we see each other no more. Before he could answer, she passed him and left the room. He saw her walk away up the street. Would she return? All that night he watched and waited, but no footstep came near the house. The next night, overpowered by fatigue, he lay down in bed in his clothes. With the door locked the key on the table and the candle burning his slumber was not disturbed The third night the fourth the fifth the sixth passed and nothing happened He lay down on the seventh still in his clothes still with the door locked the key on the table and the candle burning But easier in his mind and in perfect health of body when he fell off to sleep But his rest was disturbed he woke twice without any sensation of uneasiness, but the third time it was that never-to-be-forgotten shivering of the night at the lonely inn, that dreadful sinking pain in his heart which once more aroused him in an instant. His eyes opened toward the left-hand side of the bed, and there stood the dream woman again, no, his wife, the living reality with the dream spectre's face in the dream spectre's attitude, the fair arm up. The knife clasped in the delicate white hand he sprang upon her almost at the instant of seeing her and yet not quickly enough to prevent her from hiding the knife without a word from him without a cry from her he pinioned her in a chair with one hand he felt up her sleeve and there where the dream woman had hidden the knife his wife had hidden it the knife with the buckhorn handle that looked like new in The despair of that fearful moment his brain was steady his heart was calm He looked at her fixedly with the knife in his hand and said these last words You told me we should see each other no more and you have come back It is my turn now to go and to go forever I say that we shall see each other no more and my word shall not be broken He left her and set forth into the night There was a bleak wind abroad and the smell of recent rain was in the air The distant church clocks chimed the quarter as he walked rapidly beyond the last houses in the suburb He asked the first policeman he met what hour that was of which the quarter past had just struck The man referred sleepily to his watch and answered two o'clock two in the morning what day of the month was this day that had just begun He reckoned it up from the date of his mother's death the fatal parallel was complete. It was his birthday Had he escaped the mortal peril which the dream foretold or had he only received a second warning as That ominous doubt forced itself on his mind. He stopped Reflected and turned back again toward the city He was still resolute to hold to his word and never to let her see him more But there was a thought now in his mind of having her watched and followed the knife was in his possession The world was before him, but a new distrust of her a vague unspeakable superstitious dread had overcome him I Must know where she goes now she thinks I have left her he said to himself as he stole back wearily to the precincts of his house It was still dark He had left the candle burning in the bedchamber, but when he looked up to the window of the room now There was no light in it He crept cautiously to the house door on going away He remembered to have closed it on trying it now. He found it open He waited outside never losing sight of the house till daylight Then he ventured indoors listened and heard nothing looked into kitchen scullery parlor and found nothing Went up at last into the bedroom. It was empty a Picklock lay on the floor betraying how she had gained entrance in the night and that was the only trace of her Whither had she gone that no mortal tongue could tell him the darkness had covered her flight And when the day broke no man could say where the light found her before leaving the house and the town forever he gave instructions to a friend and neighbor to sell his furniture for anything that it would fetch and apply the proceeds to employing the police to trace her. The directions were honestly followed and the money was all spent, but the inquiries led to nothing. The picklock on the bedroom floor remained the one last useless trace of the dream woman. At this point of the narrative, the landlord paused and turning toward the window of the room in which we were sitting. Looked in the direction of the stable yard So far he said I tell you what was told to me The little that remains to be added lies within my own experience between two and three months after the events I have just been relating Isaac scratchard came to me withered and old-looking before his time just as you saw him today He had his testimonials to character with him and he asked for employment here knowing that my wife and he were distantly related i gave him a trial in consideration of that relationship and i liked him in spite of his queer habits he is as sober honest and willing a man as there is in england as to his restlessness at night and his sleeping away his leisure time in the day who can wonder at it after hearing his story besides he never objects to being roused up when he's wanted So there's not much inconvenience to complain of after all I Suppose he is afraid of a return of that dreadful woman and of waking out of it in the dark said I No returned the landlord the dream comes back to him so often that he has got to bear with it by this time resignedly enough It's his wife keeps waking at night as he has often told me What has she never been heard of yet? never Isaac himself has the one perpetual thought about her that she is alive and looking for him I believe he wouldn't let himself drop off to sleep toward two in the morning for a king's ransom Two in the morning he says is the time she will find him one of these days Two in the morning is the time all year round when he likes to be most certain That he has got that clasp knife safe about him. He does not mind being alone as long as he is awake Except on the night before his birthday when he firmly believes himself to be in peril of his life The birthday has only come round once since he has been here and then he sat up along with the night porter She's looking for me is all he says when anybody speaks to him about the one anxiety of his life She's looking for me. He may be right. She may be looking for him who can tell Who can tell said I the fourth day The sky once more cloudy and threatening no news of George I Corrected Morgan's second story today numbered it seven and added it to our stock Undeterred by the weather miss Jessie set off this morning on the longest ride. She had yet undertaken She had heard through one of my brother's laborers. I believe of the actual existence in this 19th century of no lesser personage than a Welsh bard who was to be found at a distant farmhouse far beyond the limits of Owens property The prospect of discovering this remarkable relic of past times hurried her off Under the guidance of her ragged groom in a high state of excitement to see and hear the venerable man She was away the whole day and for the first time since her visit She kept us waiting more than half an hour for dinner the moment we all sat down to table she informed us to Morgan's great delight that the Bard was a rank impostor Why what did you expect to see I asked a Welsh Patriot to be sure with a long white beard flowing robes and a harp to match Answered miss Jessie, and what did you find a highly respectable middle-aged rustic a smiling smoothly shaven obliging man dressed in a blue swallow-tailed coat and brass button with brass buttons and exhibiting his bardic legs in a pair of extremely stout and comfortable corduroy trousers But he sang old Welsh song surely sang I'll tell you what he did he sat down in a Windsor chair without a harp He put his hands in his pockets cleared his throat Looked up at the ceiling and suddenly burst into a series of the shrillest falsetto screeches I ever heard in my life My own private opinion is that he was suffering from hydrophobia. I have lost all belief henceforth and forever in bards. All belief in everything, in short, except your very delightful stories and this remarkably good dinner. Ending with that smart double fire of compliments to her hosts, the Queen of Hearts honoured us all three with a smile of approval and transferred her attention to her knife and fork. The number drawn tonight was one on examination of the purple volume it proved to be my turn to read again Our story tonight I said contains the narrative of a very remarkable adventure Which really befell me when I was a young man at the time of my life when these events happened I was dabbling in literature when I ought to have been studying law and traveling on the continent when I ought to have been keeping my terms at Lincoln's Inn At the outset of the story you will find that I refer to the county in which I lived in my youth and to a neighboring family Possessing a large estate in it that county is situated in a part of England far away from the Glen Tower And that family is therefore not to be associated with any present or former neighbors of ours in this part of the world after saying these necessary words of explanation I Opened the first page and began the story of my own adventure I Observed that my audience started a little as I read the title which I must add in my own defense Had been almost forced on my choice by the peculiar character of the narrative It was mad Monkton End of section 15 chapter 4